Hi guys, today I'm here with Amelie Wendell. Um, I'm going to let her introduce herself, but I met Amelie back in New York um, when I was in America in June and she lives in Manhattan and um, she's the nicest person and I'm so excited for this interview today. So uh, Amelie, just introduce yourself and your book and yeah. Yeah, I'm so happy to catch up with you again. So, hi guys, my name is Amelie Wenjiao. I'm the author of Blood Air. Um, Blood Air is my young adult fantasy novel about an exiled heir who strives to deal with a conman to find her father's murderer and unravels a greater corruption in her empire throughout her journey. I was born in France, I'm from China, and I currently reside in New York City where I work in finance and also as a fantasy author by night. Amazing. You're literally living like a double life. <laughs> it's, I like being kept busy, um, but sometimes sometimes it's a bit overwhelming, but but you, you just have to love every moment of it. I can imagine. Um, could you take everybody through your journey to publication from querying to getting your agent to getting your book deal? Yeah. Of course. Um, so Blood Air, I actually started writing Blood Air in the winter of 2014. So it's been, wow, it's been five years in the making. Um, so I had been writing my entire life back then, but I had never finished a completed manuscript. Um, and then in 2014, I had just graduated from college and started working in finance. So I was able to pay my bills and I thought it was time for me to put my out of work efforts into doing something with um, my passion for writing. Um, so I think the most significant moment that helped me elevate my writing skills came when I decided to post the first chapter of my first draft of Blood Air on a website where other writers could critique your pieces and then the feedback just rolled in there were so many things that i wasn't doing well enough so many techniques i wasn't aware of and that was the greatest moment for me where i kind of uh learned how to learn if that makes sense yeah um yeah, so for three years, I wrote and rewrote this book, and each time I got constructive criticism, studied writing techniques, and then I got it to a point where my critique partners were doing line edits for me, and they were really enjoying the story. So then, um, that was when I thought, okay, maybe I'm ready to try and query an agent. Um, at the time, I wasn't on Twitter, but one of my friends told me about this pitch event that was occurring right when I was writing to Query, and I had no idea what a pitch event even was, so I looked at some examples on Twitter, and then I thought, okay, uh, why not? Let me just give this a shot. So I made an account that day, and then made a tweet pitch, or pitch tweet, and threw it out there. Um, my pitch did quite well, and I was so, so excited when some of the agents I really wanted to work with favorited uh, my tweet. And then that night, I put together some emails. I had already polished my query letter, and it was ready to go. The sample pages were all just revised so many times. And then I used Excel to track everything that I had sent out because I'm just super kind of cautious and diligent in recording everything that I do in my tasks um, and I was also leaving for China the next day to visit home so it was kind of a sleepless night um, my first offer came when I was still in China and then I honestly that that morning is just like seared into my mind because it was so exciting it was I remember it was a really misty 
gray morning, um, and there were a bunch of storm clouds in the sky. Um, but anyway, I, I woke up, and then I checked my phone, and then there was an email from an agent telling me that he had loved my manuscript. And I remember at that point, like, I was still, I was, I had just woken up, and I just stopped being sleepy at all, and I jumped out of bed and ran upstairs to tell my parents, because I was just so excited, and I had never queried before, and this had happened. Um... And then that agent ended up being the agent that I signed with, Pete Knapp. And I'm 100% certain that I will never find a better agent in this industry. Um, we got to work right away. This was, I think this was mid-November of 2017. And then uh, after several rounds of revisions, we went out on submission to the publishing houses in, I think it was early December. And I remember... Uh, pretty clearly, our response, our first response came two days after from an editor who was just loving it. And then things happened very quickly. Um, we were lucky to have multiple offers. Um, I ended up signing with Delacorte Press, which is under Random House Children's Books. So I, just, I think on paper, my query process and submission process happened relatively quickly. Um, but like most of us, I've been writing my entire life. I'm just a very cautious person, and I want to be absolutely sure that everything, um, that I've done everything I can to be successful for whatever task I'm doing. So I approached this manuscript in the same way, um, being very tactical about how to keep learning and how to keep improving it, and then taking my time to make sure I had it to the best place before I could get it. Um, before I took my shot. So I've always believed in working hard, but I also think that working smart is um, really important to me, just getting constructive criticism and constantly be improving myself. So yeah, so that's a very long version of my journey from first draft to getting a book deal. That's amazing. And I love what you said. Um, I'm going to put that in the like show notes. That was really great. Like, um, Thank you. Working smart. Because I feel like a lot of people, um, it's not just their manuscript isn't good enough. It's that they've kind of rushed the process and haven't like taken a moment to sit back and make sure they've put out their best work. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a really amazing thing. And also, I remember seeing your pitch. Um, the pitch contest that Emily um, entered was... Um, DV Pit. DV Pit, yes. By Beth Phelan. I think I've discussed it before on my podcast, and it's just like a pitch contest for marginalized writers to kind of be centered for once. And um, I remember seeing your pitch, and it was amazing. I was like, wow. Thank you. It was wow, so popular. That was so long ago. I, I didn't know people remembered that or people even saw it, but. I feel like it was yeah, a legendary. It was a legendary um, pitch, to be honest. Oh my God, no not at all I just I remember I was sitting in my office that day and then my friend had told me about it the night before so I was like okay like the rules are it starts at like 9 a.m est or something so I just typed a pitch and I was like okay I think this sounds good and then I just sent it um and then two hours later I checked my phone and I was like oh my god like Peter Knapp had liked it and so and so so I was it was very exciting for me that's so great and um actually Peter is an agent that I always tell people to consider querying because from what I've Mm -hmm. seen he's a really great champion of diverse stories 
and he seems like a really great agent yeah he's a hundred percent i i was just thinking like if he left this industry i i don't know who else i would trust as much to just be a champion for me and just always be rooting for me and looking out for me so he's honestly the best and i feel like getting an agent that will root for you and be there for you all the time is so important because it becomes a business relationship that has to kind of last a long time right. and last through like a lot of um trials um so yeah that's that's great uh what inspired you to write blood air so i started writing blood air in the winter of 2014 i had just taken a graduation trip to russia and then i learned about the history the language and the architecture and i just felt so captivated by the story of anastasia romanova the youngest daughter of the last star of russia uh, we now know that she met a pretty tragic fate during the Russian Revolution. But while I was there and afterwards, I found myself thinking, what if this girl had been able to escape, to live on secretly, and was on a path for revenge for her murder family? And what if she had the power to control people's blood? Um, I don't know how that came to me. But at that point, I just fell in love with the idea of reversing the trope of a princess. I wanted her to be the most dangerous player in this game. And I just I wanted to make a book where the princess was the monster. So that was my inspiration for my main character, Anastasia. That's how she was born, effectively. Um I had also always wanted to write a book that mattered, that explored and critiqued, in some ways, our reality. So in 2014, too, I met the love of my life, and he told me the incredible story of his family. And he is the descendant of an indentured laborer who caught the last waves of the trans-Pacific slave trade between Asia and the Americas in the late 19th century. It was called the Cooley trade. So that brought him from southern China to Canada, where his indenture would pay him next to nothing under really brutal conditions. And he was never able to return home. Um, but he left a legacy in North America. Um, a part of his family settled on the west coast of the United States. And in 1990, Clement, my fiance, was born in Los Angeles to American citizenship. So it makes me sad how little known this piece of history is. And I was just reading articles online. And for example, on Wikipedia, I read about how indentured laborers built the entire, um, I think it's called the Trans-Canadian railway or something like that it's basically the rail railway that goes across canada and indentured laborers were forced to build that but there was there were five lines about them in that article so i was just really angry how the suffering of people in these conditions um seemed to have fallen between the cracks of the laws that were supposed to protect them and we all know that the victors and the powerful write history and theirs had just been erased from our textbooks and this continues to happen today in the forms of human trafficking and forced servitude so at the time i hadn't come across any young adult fantasy books that incorporated the subject and i wanted to write something from a new perspective so i wrote this terrible practice of indentured servitude and trafficking into the blueprint of my fantasy world. And it targeted and exploited a group of people with magical abilities. 
And it's really a vast system of corruption that still today lives and thrives on silence and complicity. And all of the characters in this book, apart from the villains, I guess, um, are trapped in the system, each in their own ways. So I really wanted to explore the boundaries of humanity and what each and every person might do in these different characters' shoes and to give them the chance to fight against such a system. So this book hinges a lot on the pivotal moments of my characters that lead to certain choices they make, which in turn affect the outcome of the story. So yeah, got a little emotional, but that was basically my inspiration for Blood Air. I had no idea about any of that and I feel like (laughs) we need more stories that tell you about like lost histories or histories are not talked about as much. That's so sad. Yeah, I'm I'm super emotional now, but I remember just reading the Wikipedia article and trying to search for like traces of the history of um, Clement's family and there were five lines in that article. So Wow. Yeah. Um, wow, I'm just, wow. <laughs> That's just so sad. I just don't know what it's, to say. It's so sad. Yeah, just, it's just, it's like what Min Jin Lee wrote in Pachinko. He, she said, history has failed us, but no matter. Um, so the victors and the powerful write history. Like, it's so frustrating because I read about how in Canada they took a picture of when the railway was completed and 90 five percent or something like that um of the workers on the railway had been indentured laborers from asia and from china and most of them had died building it and the picture of the end result was just white people just celebrating and it's it's just so unfair and yeah that sucks i'm so happy that you're writing this story and like bringing light to this this history that no one talks about and that moves on to our next question. Do you think that being a woman of color has impacted the way you've been treated or like um, your journey in this industry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, it's uh, not just being a woman of color, but being a foreigner to the country I currently live in that impact my life every day, whether in big ways or in small ways. Um, so, I mean, first of all, it's still a challenge and it's always been a challenge to stay in this country with visa restrictions and new immigration laws being passed every day. Um, But besides the the logistics of it, there's the soft component. Just being from China, I was educated in in English, but there's a world of difference between my education and the culture in the United States. So for example, there are so many instances of cultural uh, references that I don't understand. Like when people start talking about old songs or classic movies, those to me are the Chinese and French classics that I grew up with. So I often find myself asking a question that might seem more than obvious to everyone else who was just born here. Um, for example, it, it happened to me at work just the other day. I asked my coworker what a clam bake was, and it seemed like common knowledge, um, but I just didn't know. And we have a good laugh each time. I'm happy to share my experience with them too. But when you're in a foreign country, it's important to keep learning and adapting, which, I mean, I grew up between multiple, multiple cultures, so I have an appreciation for that. Um, so I think as a foreigner, there are not disconnects, but misconnects, cultural misconnects 
um, that happen every day in my life. Um, and those are only some of the small things. I think there's a lot of history in this country that I'm not as familiar with as, say, someone who went through the American education system. So a lot of new things I'm constantly learning and feeling surprised or shocked at. Um, but as a woman of color, there have been moments in my journey where I've questioned certain things. So, for example, I was once asked by an agent why I didn't write a Chinese-inspired fantasy. And the question was absolutely innocuous. It was fine to ask, but it just got me thinking because I grew up um, in both France and China in an international community with peers from many different parts of the world. So that's that was my experience growing up, and that was the world that I grew up in. And it's the type of world that I wanted to represent in my stories. So I, I think just um, on the topic of representation and diversity, I think diversity is about continuously bringing new perspectives to the table and learning from that as opposed to creating slots for what we perceive as representation of diversity. So for example, my experience as a French-born Chinese woman educated in an international environment is going to be very different from that of my friend who was born and raised in Queens and still different from another friend who was educated in the Chinese education system, even though we're all ethnic, ethnically Chinese. So whether as a woman of color or just a human being in general, I guess I don't really want to be pigeonholed into a type of a typecast of what people assume about my identity and my experiences. So I just need people to understand that there are many influences and factors in my background that shaped my perspective and that I'm going to have something new to bring to the table. And I think, I hope this applies widely to everyone who's writing their stories. 100%. I feel like you made so many excellent points. Um, I was discussing this with my friend actually about how like people in the diaspora as well, they don't have the same experience as those that grew up maybe like in kind of a, a normal growing up for people that lived like actually where we're ethnically from. Um, so like if I was to write a fantasy, I don't know if I could write a fantasy set in Nigeria, um, as well, because it's not my experience. Um, my friend was talking about the Greek mythology and how we all grew up with like Greek mythology in Britain and we may be black and everything, but we'd love to write it because, you know, that's our experience of storytelling and what we've learned. So, um, the agent asking you why you didn't write a Chinese inspired story or like have um that setting i think is really really annoying and ignorant because why should you you know right exactly and like for me i grew up in china but it was really a hodgepodge of cultures that i grew up with it was you know i watched disney movies in french i read victor hugo i read the chinese classics you know the romance of the three kingdoms etc but i also all my peers were um from the u.s and the uk and other places in mostly europe um so that was another a third culture kind of or multiple cultures that i wanted to fit into so 
it's it's all it's like a very it's a melee of cultures um and i just think that it's easy to say you know she's chinese or farida is black so they they should be writing you know ethnically so and so stories but in reality we're we're so multidimensional and we have so many factors in our backgrounds that um that every single person is unique and we just shouldn't be typecast 100% um and going on to something a bit more fun, a question that I know you're excited for. <laughs> um, I always see you going to get hot pot on your story so much. I didn't know what hot pot was until um, Molly took me to a place in London. Um, oh my gosh. And it's amazing. <laughs> so It really is. I wouldn't survive. It, if I had to pick one meal, like that one meal for a deserted island forever, I would pick hot pot. And there's so many options, so it's not like you're going to get bored. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I wanted to know, um, who in the Blood Air cast would you take to dinner? <laughs> yeah, I, this is my favorite question. I've, I've probably spent so much time just daydreaming over, like, what would happen if I took <laughs> so-and-so in my book to Hot Pot? And then it's so funny because I probably would not take Anna, my main character, just because she's a little too intense and hell-bent on revenge. And then plus, um, if I ordered anything with blood, since Hot Pot dishes come raw, you cook in the soup yourself. So if I ordered anything with blood, she'd probably end up flinging it at people. <laughs> so I think that I would love to take Ramson, my conman. He's obviously one of my favorites he's charming and affable and he's super attractive so i think he'd make for great company and conversation um he's he has a really smart head so we'd be able to chat about finance and deals and all his all his favorite topics but i think that the dinner would probably end with me you know falling in love with him and then him tricking me into paying for the dinner while he steals my wallet steals my money steals my phone and then just ghost me forever so <laughs> i've thought that i've thought this out so thoroughly and i was like this is exactly what would happen <laughs> i love that um and which three authors that you admire would you, dead or alive would you take to dinner yeah so first off i would probably pick um one of the most famous chinese poets li bai I grew up studying his poetry, and I've just always wondered um, what people were like in those days. And there are also a lot of theories of how the Chinese language evolved, how it went from traditional to simplified to increase the literacy rate, and then how it also shifted from dialects such as Cantonese into Mandarin. Um, so I'd love to talk to him about how the language was back in his time, as well as his, his inspirations, because he just has such a good grasp of, he's just, he's just a genius in using words and putting them into beautiful poems. Um, I just wonder if I'd even understand him, since the language back then was so different. Um, but if that works out, I would take Li Bai. I would also take uh, Victor Hugo, who wrote some of my favorite books ever, such as Les Miserables and Notre Dame de Paris, because he was just such a profound thinker, and I want to ask him how he wrote those books and how he began to imagine it all, um, as well as questions on society and the history of France back then. So it would probably be a pretty morose dinner, <laughs> but I would just love to learn from him and see what he was thinking. 
And then the third dinner guest I would love to sit down with would be Min Jin Lee, the author of Pachinko. Her book just moved me to tears, and very few books or movies have ever done that to me. And I think her mission to capture a history that is not widely known, but also just resonates so much to me, starting from the opening of the sentence of the opening sentence of her book, which is "History has failed us, but no matter." And it's just something that I so resonate with, and I hope to write something like this someday, maybe in a distant future, for my own corner of the world. So. Yeah, those are three authors I would love to take to dinner. Maybe to hot pot. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I'm gonna check out um all of them. I've heard of Victor Hugo, obviously, but um mm-hmm. I didn't hear about the other two. And is um is it Levi? Yep, Levi. I mean, his poems, it's, I don't know if we would be able to translate them to English. I don't even know if they're English translations. Okay. Um, but I would definitely check out uh, Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. It's about um, the lives of Koreans under Japanese occupation. I think, I want to say it was in the late 1800s to 1900s. Um, but it's just, it's an epic family saga of how a really poor Korean woman um, faced discrimination in uh, under Japanese rule and how she, how the lives of her children and her grandchildren and then her great-grandchildren improved so much. And there was just one line in it that absolutely just moved me to tears and super, super recommend. I'm going to check that out because that sounds amazing and I love... Um, having my heart broken so um, yeah we do this to ourselves don't we (laughs) i'm a masochist so yeah i think most some writers are in some ways i'm sure definitely i wanted to know what your favorite part of writing a book is yeah i think there are just so many ups and downs but one of the best parts to me is where you figured out where you're going and you're writing a scene that you get super engrossed in and the words just feel magical like it feels like they're flying out of your fingers and i've just tried to like think of the science behind it and i just can't i don't know how like people's brains just translate into sentences like that sometimes that seems just so full of feeling um and there are just certain scenes also that you've planned out and then you can't wait to write and then when you finally finally get to them it just feels so good um just like recently in the second of second book of blood air which i've actually finished because publishing schedules are insanely fast um yeah in the second of second book of flutter there was a scene that i've been building towards for two entire books so when it finally happened it was the best feeling ever so i think those are some of my favorite moments of writing a book i agree i love um getting to a place that i've been anticipating for ages um it's just the best thing ever like you feel so i don't know both overcome with emotion but also um relieved to kind of get out this thing that was in your head onto the page so well exactly yeah could you tell us three things you can expect from reading blood air yeah so you can expect a vast wintry world that is at once beautiful brutal and broken but worth fighting for you can expect a cast of characters from different walks in life who are all painted in their own shades of morally gray 
but are struggling to find themselves. You can also expect a slow burn romance that's set against a backdrop of snow and blood and criminal lairs and glittering masquerades. I think that's more than three things, but it just sounded so good when I wrote it down. That's amazing. Like, I'm just so excited. I read the <laughs> first so chapter of Amelie's book and, oh my God, just a beautiful writer. And I'm going to put that in the show notes, like where you can read the first chapter. Um, I think it's published on Teen Vogue as well as somewhere else. Was it just Teen yeah, Vogue? Yeah, I think it's on Teen Vogue. I, I don't think it's anywhere else. Okay. Um, yeah, but thank you so much. And the last question, um, if there's anything you want readers to take away from reading this book, what would it be? Yeah, so my book grapples a lot with um, identity and choices. So the main character, Anna, has been told that she's a monster and she's been rejected by society because of her perceived dangerous affinity to blood. She can control other people's blood. Um, Another character, Ramson, uh, made a series of mistakes that landed him in the criminal network of Cerulea and he feels stuck but that there's no way out so there's a moment in the book where Anna questions why was it that she's come to revile a part of herself and who was it that deemed these parts of herself unworthy of being accepted so her entire journey is about accepting who she is as well as understanding that it's not the way she's born but the choices that she makes that define her as a person i think we've just all experienced the feeling of not liking parts of ourselves especially as we're trying to fit into society and especially as teens and young adults so that's what I really wanted my readers to take away from my book I feel like your book's gonna definitely change lives and it's gonna be (laughs) wonderful I'm so excited thank you so much um thank thank you you. so much for being on my podcast um where can people find you on social media yeah they can find me I'm mostly on Instagram um it's at Amelie Wenjiao just my full name um and I'm on Twitter and I have a website as well I'll link that all in the show notes. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure.